Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a replacement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. Good morning, everybody. If I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. Thank you for coming in on a long Independence Day weekend. You had a lot of options today. Could have stayed home, watched the World Cup. You could have gone camping. But the fact that you're here actually means, hopefully, that you're interested in what we're going to talk about today. But I hope you had a great fourth. I hope your burger and your fireworks were blessed. I mean, burgers and boom, only in America, right? That's how it works. Let's get started. We have been doing 12 chapters of Ecclesiastes, one chapter per week all the way through. I know some of you are getting a little bit of Ecclesiastes fatigue right now. Uh, I ran into several friends who this week said, hey, Grant, are you doing Ecclesiastes 10 this week? And I'm like, yeah. And their response was, good luck with that. I'm like, that's encouraging. That's encouraging, all right? But we are in Ecclesiastes chapter 10. So if you've got your outline, your Bible, or your app, that would be great. The preacher has been preaching for the last 10 weeks that life, if not done correctly, can be absolutely meaningless. And I'm not the preacher. Right? The word Ecclesiastes means the preacher. And King Solomon, with all of his wealth and wives and wit, has been confessing to us for 10 long chapters that life is meaningless, even if you have it all. So let's continue. We're diving into chapter 10 this week. I was explaining something to a friend last week. Apparently I was going into detail, maybe a little too much detail, because they stopped me finally and just said, Grant, like I got it, all right? I got it. Well, I don't want you to say the same thing to me after the message, so here's the plan. We're going to do things a little different this week. We're going to read a little scripture, talk about it, read a little scripture, talk about it, read a little scripture, talk about it, because so much of this chapter doesn't need to be explained. It just needs to be applied. So I'm going to do the work. You're going to do the work. And then in about 30 minutes or so, we're going to walk out of here and go and experiment with how Solomon would tell us to go and do life. Here we go. Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 1. As dead flies give perfume a bad smell... 
told you it's random, okay? As dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. Maybe you've heard the phrase before, there's a fly in the ointment, okay? This is where it came from. And the whole idea is that one flaw, one imperfection, one agent of spoilage comes into a batch of whatever and it can spoil absolutely everything. You can have a whole batch of sweet smelling perfume, but if a fly gets in there and rots, then the whole batch is ruined. It just plain stinks. So here's the picture that Solomon wants us to get, okay? One small flaw can spoil an entire reputation. It can taint a soul, okay? We know this to be true, right? It takes an entire life to build an impeccable reputation and about five minutes to ruin one completely. True? True? One errant sentence, one illicit photograph, one past misstep, and it can take your life apart. Your social media platform can bring you to your knees years later because here's the truth. It's never deleted. It's always there. This verse applies to a universal problem as well. The Bible tells us that we are all guilty of at least one sin, okay? At least one sin. And if you think that one sin is an accurate number when it represents your life, that's actually something called pride and ding, you just went up another one. Congratulations, all right? We're all guilty of sin. The Bible says there's no one righteous, not even one. Culture doesn't like that message, but it's absolutely true. And that sin is the condition that Jesus came to save us from so that the entire batch of our life and eternity is not going to be spoiled. Let's have an honest moment. I don't have a fly in the ointment. I have flies, plural. All of us have flies, Don't lie in church. Nod your head if you agree. We all have flies. The fool thinks the fly is no big deal. Can we be honest? Every one of us that has a fly in the ointment, that fly costs Jesus his life. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. And when I think of everything that I have welcomed into my life to cause spoilage and stench. It just makes me so unbelievably grateful for God's amazing grace. I hope it does the same for you. We got to keep moving. Verse number two, the heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Okay. Okay. This is not a political message, so don't even go there. Because if you do, Jesus will turn you either into a donkey or an elephant. Some of you got that. Some of you didn't. All right? I'm just saying. Okay? Pray for, your, pray for the 1115. None of them are going to get that one at all. Right? So it's a simple truth though. Right? Wisdom and foolishness lead in opposite directions. You're either traveling towards God and his holiness or you're traveling away from it. And there is no magical static place in the middle where you could have it both ways. It just doesn't work that way. It's either wisdom or foolishness. Just a side note, all through this chapter, Solomon's going to be contrasting the wise with the foolish, okay? And, and it, we, we have to be so careful with our language. The Hebrew word for fool literally means empty head, Okay? Empty head. Now, anytime I say the word stupid, there's always a four-year-old that comes up afterwards and says, Pastor Grant, my mommy said you're not supposed to say that. Okay? That's actually a nice reflection of the Hebrew word here. Okay? So some of us 
are going to be forced to have to decide whether we are in the wise category or the foolish category. I think you're going to find out like me as we move through this that I probably spend more time in the fool category than the wise one. Verse number three, even as fools walk along the road, they lack sense and show everyone how stupid they are. I didn't say it, the Bible did, okay? So let's be honest. If you drive home today, you're driving up the guide, and some idiot is walking down the center of traffic towards you. Two lanes coming this way. He's going this direction right up the yellow line. You're going to be calling either the police or an ambulance. Why? Because that's just crazy. It's crazy. It's like the elementary school poster that hung in my fourth grade classroom. Don't play in traffic, right? Duh. Solomon says, fools actually believe they're immune to playing in traffic. They think cars should get out of their way, not the other way around. That's how foolish it is. Here are the simple spiritual implications. Truth number one, there is a right and a wrong way to walk out life. Even though the world says, pick your own way, define your own terms, experiment however you want to, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life, and nobody gets to my Father unless they go through me first. It's not popular, but it's true, which means this. Now, the truth, the right way honors God with every step. As we're pursuing holiness, nobody gets perfection. We get that right. We all got flies. But when we're moving in the right direction, we honor God with every step of obedience. Thirdly, the wrong way chooses self with every step. I mean, it's just amazing to me. The creativity of humanity is incredible. The Bible says that there are two roads. A narrow road that leads to heaven and a broad road that leads to destruction. Humans look at that and what do we think? We get creative. We go like, nope, I'm going to make a third road. We're going to call it the middle of the road. And I'm going to stay in the middle of the road and I'm not going to offend anybody and I'm not going to say things that are ever going to stir up any trouble. I'm going to mind my own business. I'm just going to make this easy on myself. Let me say this as boldly and as gently as I possibly can. I don't know if you can do both at the same time, but I'm going to try. The middle of the road is just the ditch that runs alongside of the road that leads to destruction. Pick. Pick the road. I'll be honest, I chose the wrong road for a really, really, really long time, but I also learned something because of God's grace. You can change the way you walk with one wise decision to follow Jesus. You can switch roads, boom, just like that. I think, there's, I think there's nothing more foolish than a person who believes the universe actually revolves around them and that somehow they think they're powerful. I'm like, really? Have you ever stood on the side of a, uh, of a thundering ocean with waves crashing in towards the beach. I have. I've been on the North Shore of some of the Hawaiian Islands, like Pipeline, where there are these massive waves. I feel about this big. I feel powerless standing in the face of that wave. I grew up in Manitoba. Windstorms, thunderstorms, they just come up out of nowhere. It's just unbelievable. And this fury just gets released from the skies. I mean, it's rain, it's hail, it's wind. And when you're in the middle of that and your building around you is actually moving and shaking, you feel about this big. Our brothers and sisters in California, they felt how small humanity feels this past week. We are so unbelievably powerless But Solomon wants to take us deeper. 
Because life has an element of powerlessness. You know what? It's sad, but it's true. You can do everything right and still get taken out by a bus on your way home today. That encouraging? Glad you came to church, right? You can eat the best food in the world and exercise until you are in pristine physical condition and still get taken out by cancer. Anybody else notice that? Solomon just says, look, this is what I need you to focus on. Choose the right path, take the right step, because when life happens, you're going to depend on the fact that you weren't walking alone, but that you were actually walking with Jesus. That's the difference between a meaningful and a meaningless life. Verse number four, if a, ruler, a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great offenses to rest. I like that. Solomon's just like, just relax, people. Just relax. He's also saying in his context that at some point you should expect the authority figures above you to press back against you and your convictions. And when that happens, stay calm because you answer to a greater ruler. There's been a theme that's been emerging over the last couple of weeks. I've been asked this question multiple times by different people in different situations. They've asked me the question, Grant, would you be willing to go to jail for your biblical convictions? Like if the authorities began to say, you don't get to talk about that, would you be willing to go to jail for your convictions? My answer is yes, and let me tell you why. It's because that's actually normal for most Christians in the world today. I got brothers and sisters that are doing what I'm doing today, and they will be arrested and beaten for what I'm doing. We understand that, right? We understand that we live in the exception, not the rule, right? We get that? Makes me so grateful for my freedom today. So your faith may cost you, it may cost me, but we need to hold on to this. We're called to stand firm in the truth that our God is greater. Our, our culture, I believe, is going to keep separating out people who believe out of conviction and those who believe out of convenience. I think a time is coming when convenience is no longer going to be an option when it comes to faith. And my hope and prayer is that the true followers of Jesus in that moment will remain calm and say, I answer to a greater king. Let's keep going. Verse number five. There's an evil that I've seen under the sun, the sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions while the rich occupy the low ones. I've seen slaves on horseback while princes go on foot like slaves. Some of you are like, what in the world does that mean? Let me ask you a question. Who gets highlighted on the newsreels that you watch on your phone or on your iPad? I mean, who gets front page billing? Is it the celebrity doing something stupid or the faithful person working at the CTK farm? Who's on the front page of your newsreel, right? Okay. Let me tell you something. The farm is not making headlines. It's just feeding human beings. Okay. And it's a tough truth, but I think it's one we should wrap our heads around. Solomon wants us to pay attention here. Immaturity is exalted while maturity is often ignored. Dr. Eugene Peterson incredible man of faith, a great biblical linguist, did a paraphrase of the scripture called the message. It's not a translation, it's a paraphrase. And he wrote this section of Ecclesiastes this way. He said, here's a piece of bad business I've seen on this earth, an error that can be blamed on whoever's in charge. Immaturity is given a place of prominence while maturity is made to take a back seat. I've seen unproven upstarts riding in style while experienced veterans are put out 
to pasture. So let me ask you again, who dominates the headlines that you read? Is it the brilliant and the humble or the idiots? The faithful and the righteous or the criminals? I was flipping through a news feed this morning. It's interesting. Seven headlines deep. They finally inserted one. They created a new category called good news. And they just put something nice in there because everything before that was unbelievably depressing. It was just a parade of people who had been indicted for human sex trafficking or government corruption. I mean, it was just headline after headline after headline. For the record, I would rather be faithful and ignored than a front page fool. How about you? Okay. Now, so far, Solomon has depressed us at a certain level. Let's be honest, okay? But now he's going to spin, he's going to turn, he's going to pivot, and he's going to answer a question. What do we do in the face of all this foolishness? Like, what do we actually do? And it's fascinating to me because he actually gets really, really, really practical. Verse number eight, whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, more strength is needed, but skill will bring success. If a snake bites before it's charmed, the charmer receives no fee. Some of you are like, what is this stuff? I got snakes and people getting hit in the head with rocks and they're falling trees on their own. What in the world is Solomon saying? Let's break it down as simply as we can. Keep working smarter. In the midst of all this foolishness, God wants you to just keep going to work. Keep going to work with an understanding that life can change in an instant and that's okay. Because if you read these examples, right? Middle of ditch digging, guy falls and breaks his neck. Isn't that great, right? Guy's making a wall, reaches through to grab something on the other side and there's a snake right there. Gets him right in the hand, right? The unexpected happens. Life happens and it's tragic, but the lesson is still this. Keep going to work. Keep the ax sharp. Apply yourself, not just to work harder, but to work smarter. So here's my question. How can you work smarter when it comes to following Jesus? You're not just going to fall into it. I mean, you don't just fall into maturity. You develop that. In fact, if you've noticed, if you've paid attention, we actually become mature because we endure pain. We walk through suffering and we figure out that Jesus is there all the time. You need a plan to grow and mature. The wise person makes a plan, not just to succeed at work, but to succeed at faith. So I think some of us get so stuck. I do. I get stuck at good intentions, right? I say, I want to do this to follow Jesus. I want to do this to follow Jesus. I have these great thoughts. In this context, let's understand it. The thought doesn't count all the time if you don't ever do anything. You can think about it. You can think about it. But unless we turn thought into action, we're going to stay as immature as we've ever been. Now, I don't know if you remember the last verse, but... It says this, basically, what good is a snake charmer if he doesn't charm the snake? So we got a picture in our brain, right? So I'm in India years ago on a missions trip. We're in the downtown area of Calcutta, and there actually is a, a guy with a flute and a basket. He takes the lid off the basket. He starts playing a song. Black Cobra comes out of it, and I'm freaking out. I do not like snakes. 
And I'm kind of watching like, this is strange. It's kind of weird. Four-year-old kid walks by, like just walks by, pats the snake on the head. Boop, 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 and then walks on. But... <laughs> what in the world? Let me break this verse down as best I can. If the snake charmer doesn't charm the snake, something happens. People get bit. So if that's your role, for the love of God, blow the flute. <laughs> that's a good Bible right there. I like that, okay? I don't know what God has given you as your role, but whatever role is, if you don't do it, someone's going to get bit. So if your role is to blow the flute, blow the flute. If your role is to run the company, run the company the way Jesus would want you to run the company. If the role is to teach children, teach them well, because if, if you don't teach them well, they're going to get bit. Make sense? Verse 12. Words from the mouth of the wise are gracious, but fools are consumed by their own lips. At the beginning, their words are folly. At the end, they are wicked madness. And fools multiply words. Boy, underline that. Fools multiply words. No one knows what's coming. Who can tell someone else what will happen after them? Here's what Solomon's saying. Fools just keep talking and talking and talking and talking. And you can't talk and listen at the same time. So he, in no uncertain terms, is saying, if you just keep talking and talking and talking, there's a name that gets assigned to you. So here, let's get practical. By the way, if you have to ask your friend, do I talk too much? The answer is yes. <laughs> okay. I've said this many times before. Sam Middlebrook was our worship pastor years ago, a big Texan, you know, and uh, his dad, Charlie, was just, he was a legend in my mind. Charlie ran an inner city church in Houston, Texas. I love Charlie. He, he kind of had a slow Southern drawl and he was just wisdom kind of all wrapped up in this beautiful little package. And I remember asking Charlie one time, I said, Charlie, I'm a young pastor. This is years ago, right? I'm a young pastor. Give me the best wisdom you got. He said, Grant, never miss an opportunity, a glorious opportunity to just shut up. <laughs> Amen. All right. So here it comes, right? The wise man knows where he's going. He's got a plan to get there. And he surrounds himself with people who can show him how to work smarter, not necessarily harder. And then he aspires to be them. I believe the implication here is pretty simple. Surround yourself with gracious people of few words. A couple of chapters ago, Solomon said this. Hey, just so you know, idiots run in packs. That's what he said. They run in packs. So check your friends. Are they just talking and talking and talking and talking and never moving anywhere? Or when you have a conversation with them, are they people of few words who push you towards Jesus? That's how you should define who you have in your life. When I grow up, I want to be like John Havland and Henrik Brockhaus. They're both going to be super embarrassed when they come to the service at 1115. I want to be like John and Henrik because they are men of very few words. But I'll tell you what, when I'm in a room with them, as soon as they start talking, everybody else just gets really, really quiet. You know why? Because the first thing that comes out of their mouth is usually scripture. They'll just say something that Jesus taught them and everyone goes, oh yeah, that makes so much sense. They've never been on a front page of anything. But they're quiet, humble, 
leaders, men of few words who are persistent in their pursuit of the narrow road of Christ. Let's keep moving. Verse number 15, the toil of fools wearies them. They don't know the way to town. That one's great, right? It's just like you pull over to the side of the road. Hey, I'm looking for, I'm looking for Bellingham. And you're like right on the outskirts and you ask them, you know, I'm looking for Bellingham. Do you know where it is? Nope. <laughs> Do you live here? Yep. You don't know where the city is in the middle? Nope. Never been there. Don't care to go. Like, what? Right? I think Solomon's telling us to just pick a destination. I mean, you can walk and never get anywhere. You can walk in circles. Solomon is saying, I need you to actually choose a direction. Move in the direction of the cross. Move in step with the Holy Spirit. But for the love of God, keep moving. Verse number 16. Woe to the land whose king was a servant, whose princes feast in the morning. Okay? I call this redneck theology. All right? Here's how it works. Don't hang out with buddies that are drinking before 9 a.m. It's just good Bible right there. I love that. Okay? Don't hang out with people who party before they go to work. They're not bright. That's what Solomon says. And he presses in verse 17. Blessed is the land whose king is of noble birth and whose princes eat at a proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. There is a time for appropriate celebration. There's a time to cheer for victory. There's a time to actually have a party because you accomplished a milestone. That's fantastic. Solomon is simply saying, celebrate appropriately. Okay, so we just celebrated the 4th of July. Let me ask a question. Did you celebrate your independence in a way that honored the king who emancipated you from an old way of life, or did you jump back on the old road of your life and act like an idiot? Now, if you blew it on the 4th of July, here's the good news. Labor Day is right around the corner, okay? <laughs> Reset. Reset, right? Let's go a different direction. I think this verse is also a commentary on leadership. As a leader, your impact should trickle down to your princes and your princesses. And I think it's a commentary on your leadership, how your subordinates act. And your goal as a leader is to have them and equip them with wisdom instead of foolishness. And, and don't start thinking right away about a leader being somebody other than you. Because we're all leaders and we all wield influence. Let's keep going. Verse 18. Through laziness, the rafters sag because of idle hands, the house leaks. A feast is made for laughter. Wine makes life merry. And money is the answer for everything. Okay, now, just hold on one second. Okay, this one's tough because it appears to contradict everything that Solomon's been saying. Okay. Because for nine chapters, he's been saying, hey, chasing finances, that's just meaningless. It's just a vapor contest. Don't even bother to do that. Now you get to the end of this verse, and he's like, money's the answer for everything. It's like, what just happened to Solomon? Apparently, he celebrated inappropriately, right? Kind of lost his way here. It's confusing, but don't misinterpret the verse. Okay, start with the ending. Let me tell you something about Old Testament Middle Eastern mindset. If you ever come with me to Israel, our guide Sam will tell you something. He goes, Westerners tell stories beginning, middle, end. He goes, Middle Eastern people tell stories beginning, middle, beginning. That's why there's a wedding in the first couple of chapters in Genesis, and you get all the way to the end of the book, and what do you find? A wedding. 
That's how it works. So if you ever run into an Old Testament verse that doesn't make sense to you, start at the end and work your way backwards. Okay? So let me make this clear. Here's Solomon's point. Money's necessary. You're going to need it at some point. Okay? He just has cautioned us for nine chapters that chasing it as a, as a savior, a substitute savior, is just a waste of a vapor of a life. So you have to start at the end and work your way backwards. Here's Solomon's thought pattern. It's not a sin to be poor. It's a sin to be lazy. Okay? Money enables us to actually live life. We need it. Just don't worship it as a functional savior. This is a cautionary word coming to God's people. Don't let your life revolve around cash because there's no security there. Matthew Henry, one of my favorite commentators, he put it this way. He said, money in and of itself answers nothing. It will neither truly feed you or truly clothe you, but as it is the instrument of commerce, it answers all the occasions of this present life. What is to be had may be had for money, but it answers nothing to the soul. It will not procure the pardon of sin, the favor of God, the peace of conscience, the soul as it is not redeemed, so it is not maintained with corruptible things such as silver and gold." Solomon is saying, you're going to need cash to operate. Every culture has a currency of some kind. Just make sure you always keep the eternal perspective because money cannot buy peace. Last piece of wisdom, verse 20. Do not reveal, revile the king even in your thoughts or curse the rich in your bedroom because a bird in the sky may carry your words and a bird on the wing may report what you say. So at the beginning, we heard the phrase fly in the ointment. You've probably heard the phrase a little birdie told me. Guess where it came from? There it is. Okay. And Solomon is saying this, hey, your king hears everything, everything that you say. And if you believe in God, everything that you think, that's scary, isn't it? Earlier, Solomon taught us, Jesus' words, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what really happens deep inside of us is revealed by what we think and by what we say. So confession time. I'm lying in bed on the 4th of July. It's about 11 o'clock. I have a theory. They banned fireworks in Bellingham. So y'all just came to Linden for the evening. Thank you so much. All right. And I'm lying in bed on the 4th. I have two rescue puppies. Okay, we rescued both of our dogs from rescue shelters. They were abused. They are easily freaked out. And I've got two dogs, one on each side, laying in bed. And they're like having an aneurysm because people are outside celebrating the 4th. He's like boom, 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 boom. And they are freaking out. And as their owner, I'm feeling empathy for them. And I'm thinking thoughts in my brain. Jesus, blow up my neighbors. If you live near me, that's what I was thinking about you. I'm not even going to lie. Blow them up. Blow off their fingers. Send them to the ER. I don't care. Just make them stop. Turn them into my dogs for one day on the 4th of July. And then, then blow out the windows in their own homes. Go ahead and hurt them. For the sake of the puppies, hurt my neighbors. That's what I'm thinking. Last night, it's July the 6th. And they're still blowing stuff off near my house. I'm thinking stuff even worse. I'm just like... 
don't judge me. God just heard what you thought, right? Ding, another fly. There you go. All right. So, but just think about it for a second, right? I love the context of Solomon. He goes, how many of you lay in your bed at night and you think bad things about people? You plot and plan revenge against people who've hurt you. You think about your leaders like just a bunch of idiots. And you completely ignore, I completely ignore when Jesus says, hey, pray for your leaders. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Pray for them. Pray for your pain. Pray for their pain. And pray that your heart changes towards them. Forgive as God has forgiven you. Simple wisdom. So it's actually a warning about inner gossip. It's also a warning about outer, outer gossip. Because we're going to come full circle. Chapter 10, he starts in this random journey. And he starts talking about your private world. And he comes all the way around and reinforces one more time. There is nothing private any more. Everything you do is a matter of public record and it can come back to you either in a way of building honor for people or shredding people's in reputation. I mean, your words are powerful and Solomon is warning us. He just says your words can find their way to the most interesting of places. So be careful. Anybody else in the room ever been busted because of something that they said out loud? Really, me and three friends. The rest of you are lying. Ding, another fly. There you go, all right? <laughs> right? It's, a, it's a painful moment when your thoughts are exposed. And let me tell you why. What you share out of your mouth is not a reflection of the person you're talking about. It's a reflection of you. Here's the appeal. Watch what you say. Watch what you post, watch what you photograph, watch what you think. Because what you say is the real you being exposed and everything you say gets carried back to the King of Kings. Let me wrap up with this. So Tuesday, I had a meeting with Pastor Brian Barons. Brian's our creative pastor and uh, he's getting ready to preach Ecclesiastes 11, which is gonna be absolutely awesome and fantastic. And so I met him downtown, he made a recommendation. There's a new little Hawaiian restaurant. It's, uh, it serves poke. And I know how to pronounce it because Pastor Lem taught me how, okay? Pastor Poke. So it's not Hawaiian poke, all right? Poke, all right? So I'm down there and it basically that's a fancy word for, for really good spicy raw fish on a bed of rice. And it's just really, it's a mouthful of, of heaven is what it is, okay? And I love it. And it's really, really good. So I pull downtown and I'm meeting Brian down there and I, I, I'm driving along, you know, Chestnut and I pull up Chestnut and then there's a parking spot right there and I just pull in really, really quick and back up. I park. I plugged the meter, I'm walking away. And as I'm walking away, I looked up and I saw the front of this business that's right there. And I kind of thought, it looks familiar for a second. I walk about 10 feet down the road and suddenly I, a little birdie whispers something in my ear and I'm like, oh yeah. I'm on Chestnut Street, right in front of a foot rub business. <laughs> it just got busted on suspicion of prostitution and... The pastor of Christ the King just parked right outside the front door. <laughs> and now I'm frozen because I'm halfway to the restaurant. I'm like, I'm not going back. Like, I, that would look like, mm, interesting, interesting. 
Here's my question. If you'd seen my car with no explanation, what story would you have told? And what if you would have shared that tidbit with someone else? For the record, I was eating fish with Brian, and he's in the back and can verify my whereabouts, just so you know, okay? (laughs) What you spread is a reflection of you. And as God is my witness, I was in a restaurant thanking God for raw fish and rice, okay? So in closing, let me do the very best thing in the best way that I can to summarize and all of chapter 10 in three sentences. We're going to begin with the ending. Your words matter. They matter. So this week as the people of God spread a scandalous story of grace about a king who can pluck the spoiling carcasses of our old failures out of our past and put us on the narrow road to an eternal destination of heaven with him where our confessed words will be covered with the grace of a king who will celebrate over us because we chose to work out our salvation with both wisdom and meaning. That's the best I got. Let's pray. God, help us with our words this week. Because, Lord, we know that you, you know all and see all. And, God, you're not waiting, sitting in heaven, waiting for us to fail. God, you're there pressing us in the direction of the narrow road. God, I'm so thankful for grace to cover my flies. And I thank you that you're a God who's big enough to be able to, to cover and forgive and then to put us on the right path and to, to give us options every day, foolishness or wisdom, foolishness or wisdom. God, may the people of God choose wisdom this week. Lord, we're going to head back out into the world right now. I believe this is the holiest moment of the week when the church gathered becomes the church scattered. So Lord, as we go, may we be people of wisdom and may we pursue a Jesus life of meaning not an empty life of meaninglessness. God, equip us for this good task. We need your help. May our words this week be both gracious and few. And may we pursue the cross with everything we have. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Do me a favor, stand up, shake hands with three people before you walk out of here. We'll see you next week. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.